0: Today on Penn's Exchange, Engineering Growth, what role have engineers play in spurring economic growth and developments in the Industrial Revolution? Welcome to Pence Exchange, the forum where we discuss everything related to the historical experience of markets and their philosophical foundations. Today we will be joined by Felipe Valencia. He is an assistant professor in the Vancouver School of Economics at the University of British Columbia in Canada. He also a research affiliate at the Center for Economic Research and Policy and at the Institute of Labor Economics. Born in Colombia, Felipe received his bachelor's degree from Brown University and his PhD from Universitat Pompeo Fabra. His research interests are in economic history, development economics, and economic growth. Particularly, he is interested in studying economic persistence with an emphasis on historical conflict. Welcome, Felipe.
1: Hi, Fernando. Thank you very much for the invitation. Happy to talk to you.
0: Oh, ha- happy to have you. Felipe will talk to us about a paper he co-wrote with William Maloney on the economic impact of the engineer in society. The figure of the engineer as an embodiment of what's productive and well-enhancing is well-known. We all want our kids to become engineers rather than, for example, historians, or even worse, economic historians. (laughs) But how much of this story is true and how much is a myth? Are the engineers really such a powerful force conducive to long-term development? Let me anticipate a bit of it by emphasizing that it may be true. So, Felipe... There is this preconceived notion that engineers, and you would say any relative applied STEM professions, and I emphasize applied because there's also a difference between applied mathematician, for example, and a a theoretical mathematician. A theoretical mathematician is just like a philosopher, but an applied mathematician, you would say, well, it's useful because it's applied. So these professions are thought of as being the benchmark of what a productive profession is in modern society, while other professions are perceived as maybe hedonistic or even parasitic at the worst. So lawyers, for example, you talk about them in your paper, are generally not as well liked. So perhaps because their contribution to society is less tangible and less direct, would you agree that engineers are special among human professions?
1: Uh, yes, I mean, it's a good question to to start and, and set up the, the argument. So let me just uh, clarify that this uh, joint paper with, with Bill Maloney is, is a historical paper. So what we do is to go back in history uh, and look at the potential economic impact of uh, the engineering profession or engineers. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's better to be an engineer than an economic historian, though that's probably true. Uh, It doesn't mean that there's other value added that uh, different professions uh, can bring into society. Let's think about artists, Uh, you mentioned uh, lawyers. Uh, But what we do find in the paper uh, is that the impact, or at least the uh, historical impact, economic impact, of engineers um, on uh, long-term growth uh, is large, is quantifiable uh, and in a way uh, it's it's larger since you mentioned lawyers than the one for lawyers and probably the your, your audience might have the, this classic reference uh, by Schleifer, Schleifer and co-authors, the, the, the famous misallocation of, of talent paper, uh, where they were arguing that uh, it, it's better for a country, quote unquote, uh, to specialize in engineering rather than lawyers. And there's a bit of a tradition and, and a literature uh, on this topic that I'm happy to, to expand if, if, if you want.
0: Before you go into the nuts and bolts of your paper and your study, I would like to ask something that I think is quite relevant to put in the first place, like, how much does the contribution of the engineer lies in the way in which we measure growth and development? So how do we compare the benefits brought by an engineer compared to to those brought by an artist, for example? So... In my case, for example, I, I could name a lot of artists that have influenced my, my, my humanity, you would say, but I could not name a single engineer. So maybe there lies a problem in, in, in the way in which we measure economic growth or development.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, I don't think that this, again, we are economists, so we're going to stick to economics and, and this is a paper on economic growth. And this is not a paper that is trying to, to measure how rich is a society and uh, I agree with you maybe a society that is fully composed uh, by engineers and uh, wouldn't be the most fun interesting or thriving society and uh, but this is just uh again an economics paper it's trying to look at our usual measure of economic uh, growth uh, gdp gdp per capita in this case in the long term uh, and it's trying to look at different professions uh, we've mentioned lawyers we also include medical doctors and, and in our case uh, special engineers and how they uh, contribute or not to growth in the long term. Uh, um, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I side with you. Uh, I would rather mention many interesting artists uh, rather than famous engineers. Uh, but, uh, but yes, this is, this is not about that. This is just about economic growth. And it might be very hard to also quantify, as maybe you're alluding to, uh, some of the externalities that, let's say, an artist or a performer uh, might bring to society. Um, so this is very much an economics paper, uh, maybe a bit uh, on the boring side of things, of just how much a country is growing and how much of that can be attributed, in this case, to engineers.
0: Okay. So let's talk about history then, about economic history. So could you tell us a little bit background on the economic history of the engineer as a profession? Like, we know that, I mean, the role of the engineer has perhaps always existed there's has always a need for a, a for an engineer I would say but when does the engineer as a real profession start uh, uh, started
1: yeah yeah so you're right and um, this goes a, a long way back so if you think about it was mostly a military term uh, way back when and um, I would say that kind of the modern engineer is uh, or at least the modern mechanical engineer, emerges with uh, with uh, James Watt and the invention of, of the engine, so engine engineer, uh, rather than just any military machine as, as it used to be in the past. So I would say that, that we can more or less, I mean, obviously this is a process, but more or less uh, place these in the context of the second industrial revolution, uh, which is also the focus of our paper. Uh, maybe we would go a bit uh, uh, into what exactly it's an engineer and the different types of engineers. But I think that to start, uh, I would place these around this time period and uh, with which, uh, just to remind your audience, it's around the uh, 1870 to 1914. So kind of like the 1880s, uh, again, f- finishing the, the, the process that was started during the first Industrial Revolution, which goes uh, further back in time. But I would say that by the 1880s which is when we have our data and um, this process has been more or less fully consolidated at least for some of the leading economies in the world.
0: So now that you talk about the industrial revolution could you talk us a little about what's the difference in terms of the impact of the engineer from the first to the second in in, in your paper or, or in general for you?
1: Yeah so, so this is actually a, a Pretty important uh, question in economic history, whether the first industrial revolution uh, was a de-skilling process or not. I mean, many papers have been uh, written about this. Uh, there's a famous one by by uh, Nico Voigtlander and Maris Scucciarini saying that actually uh, human capital was indeed important, even for the first industrial revolution, uh, when they look at uh, textiles and textile development uh, in the context of, of uh, French industrialization. Um, but by the second industrial revolution, and this is again an, an argument that we make in the paper, kind of the level of technological development is, is more complex, more sophisticated, and uh, it's a faster paced. Uh, and that's where you really uh, we we conjecture and uh, need this type of technical knowledge. So uh, during the first industrial revolution, the famous phrase by by Joel Mokyr is that you need these thinkers. Uh, by the second, the uh, uh, production is a lot more sophisticated, mechanized. Uh, you start seeing things like the Bessemer process uh, the importance of uh, electrolysis, chemical engineers, mechanical engineers. So maybe you could tinker your way around uh, the first industrial revolution. So maybe not too much formal education and just more of an apprentice type uh, job. Uh, by, by the second is decidedly skill uh, you do need some of this uh, quote-unquote technical knowledge or upper levels of knowledge, as we call it in the paper. Uh, and again, that's, that's an important reason that, that we're focusing during the, uh, uh, this time period.
0: So when does your paper end in terms of like the period?
1: So we are, our main database is uh, engineers in 1880 and we center uh, around the US and that's kind of like the core of the paper that we also look at other countries in the Americas Um, and then what we do is to try to follow the impact of these uh, through time so we have um, some graphs for instance where we show that there might be some immediate impact uh, but that it really kind of like kicks off uh, after several decades and then we go all the way to now basically what we're trying to do here is just to see if you have historical upper tails technical training in engineer in the engineering, let's say in 1880s, are you richer or poorer today? And quote, unquote, today, I mean, we have data from the 2000s and 2010s in the US, but the historical focus is, is again, the second industrial revolution, so around the 1880s and that time period.
0: Now that you say that there's difference in terms of the types of engineers that were pervasive in the first compared to the second, in your paper do you actually cover that like there's a difference between the impact of a mechanical engineer compared to the of a chemical engineer
1: very briefly and tangentially what like the way that we actually assemble the data set is to go to the first census that had this information on engineers and that again for the us and would be around the 1880s and there starts to be some differentiation in the profession. And, and I mean, obviously, part of this is that data-driven and part of this is this is just the reality of how things were evolving. Uh, it's This is fairly early to start having some of these differentiation. So this, let's say like this paper is mostly about uh, engineering as a class. Uh, and then as the profession progresses, uh, you would have uh, societies and you would have a, a subfields like mechanical engineering civil engineering uh, chemical engineering so we do a little bit of that but the data that time period is is fairly imprecise so it's hard to capture uh, differences if you're uh, curious about it uh, at the time at this time uh, it seems that chemical engineers and mechanical engineers perhaps not surprisingly uh, have a bit of an impact uh, and again historically the profession was also very tied with to civil engineering and this is something that goes uh, back to, to the military days, right, where you also have uh, these quote-unquote engineers that, that were basically uh, uh, doing bridges and, and building stuff for the military.
0: Could you talk us uh, a little bit about the specific methods that you use in terms of how do you measure the impact of engineers? So you talked about the census data of engineers, but in your paper you also said that Basically use the morry land grant colleges of eighteen sixty two to measure the impact of the engineers in the United States. Could you expand on what this basically act was and why yes. it was important
1: yes yeah. so so I guess as usual in in an economics paper the, the 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 problem or or the usual issue is a causality right like how do we know that it's really engineers that are uh, not only associated with higher growth or higher economic development? Uh, but it could well be the other way around, right? Like if you have a rich area, it's going to attract engineers. So then the, the causality might be absolutely reversed. And it's because you're rich that you're attracting engineers. OK, so that's kind of the usual chicken and egg or reverse causality problem that we would have uh, economically or econometrically. So we, we do several things uh, in, in this paper. Um, the first one is just to, to draw a correlation, right? Like we do find that places that are richer uh, tend to have more engineers. So that's kind of like the step zero or step one and um, but furthermore what we do is to start uh, adding a bunch of controls so things uh, that might also matter for long-term growth the uh, geographic variables uh, institutional variables either even other educational controls so what we're trying to say here is not that literacy doesn't matter or that tertiary or secondary education don't matter is that there might be kind of like an extra uh, quote-unquote effect uh, of engineers uh, but still, all of this is, is uh, it's correlational. So the third thing that, that we do, which is what you were alluding to, uh, is to use uh, what's uh, uh, called in, in econometrics an instrumental variables strategy, which is to try to find something to tease out that cause and effect. And that is... Uh, precisely as you were saying, the Morrill Land Grant uh, Colleges pro- uh, program. Um, so this was um, a program that uh, was that the law was passed in 1862 as part of the post uh, Civil War Reconstruction uh, era uh, efforts. So the idea here was that um, they saw or they thought that it would be nice uh, to, to to standardize education in the U.S. And especially to emphasize, as as you began the the interview, uh, these applied mechanical arts, which is essentially engineering. Uh, So they started building uh, a lot of these schools in areas throughout the United States, uh, later on in the West and in the South. uh, But they were kind of like not very demand driven. So it's not like these areas were booming and then they decided to build a school. And there are many anecdotes and interesting stories about uh, under uh, appreciation of these areas. Uh, some of them like start with zero students and only eventually like, they, they start uh, having um, uh, graduating cohorts. So it's kind of like to tease out the supply and demand, imagine, uh, simply put, is a supply shock in the number of engineers. So like all of a sudden we have these colleges that are eventually training these quote-unquote engineers. Uh, what's the impact of that? And of course, in the paper, we're going to the nitty-gritty of how are they exogenous, how are they allocated, et cetera, et cetera, which I'm happy to expand, but that this is just kind of the the general idea of of using the land grant colleges as an instrument to the to the supply of engineers.
0: And specifically what your measure of the impact of engineers is at the national level, at the state level, at the county level? So how what, what is yeah, the level yeah.
1: So, so, so it's it's a paper that actually tries to measure all of those, and we get fairly similar estimates. Uh, the 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 basic the brunt of our data is at the county level, and that would be for the U.S. and so that allows us to look at the impact kind of very at a very granular uh, level, uh, and it also allows us uh, econometrically to take, for instance, a state fixed effects, and uh, so whatever we find, uh, it's not driven. Uh, by differences between, let's say, California and Texas. And this is a within California or within a Texas effect. So that's kind of the the our, our preferred specification is going to be at the county level. We also run things at the state level. So we can aggregate up for the U.S. if you're worried about things like migration. So maybe migration, it would be Much easier to move from county to county, but not from state to state. Uh, And we get kind of like similar numbers, which are in the order of uh, of 10% uh, of higher uh, U.S. county incomes today or higher U.S. uh, state uh, incomes today. Uh, And then what we do is to try to expand, of course, with some caveats. So we gain in in external validity, but maybe we lose a little bit in in terms of identification and controls uh, at the state level for other countries in Latin America, so the Americas at large. So we went and we collected uh, the number of, of engineers for all of the available countries. So we have Mexico, Argentina, Colombia, Brazil. And then we run similar regressions where instead of taking a state fixed effect, we take a country fixed effect. So, And we again find kind of like the same fractal pattern. And at the end, we just aggregate up and we say, okay, at the national level, how many engineers did you have? And does this correlate with income or not? So at this point, again, given the caveat that we did before about the IVs were not uh, identified. But we do find uh, this interesting uh, correlation of uh, countries that have more engineers are also richer. And um, so so that's kind of like the structure of the paper. We, we go at the county, at the state, and also at the national level. And I think what's interesting or reassuring is that we find uh, more or less the same answer, and in some cases, even similar magnitudes of the of the economic impact.
0: That's super interesting, but but before we go, we we touched the the problem of on comparison at least with with the national levels. I would like to ask you about how do you control for for migration in terms of you previously stated that this was a supply shock and it was not demand driven, but I mean if you could tell us about the background. So for example, a a college is created. I don't know. I will invent uh, South Idaho or something like that, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and. Do the people that attend that college are people that live nearby and stay in the places that they studied, or um, or maybe it attracts people from California or, or from other places?
1: Yes, this, this is a, a great question. Um, and the, the, the short answer is, is a bit what I was telling you before. So that's why we also look at the state level where some of this migration issues might be uh, less important. But I think what what we see then is that maybe these are, this could be seen as underestimates, right? Because in a way we're only capturing like part of that labor force, like part of those stayers, at least in the the IV uh, setting. So these are people that after some years uh, when the census uh, employers arrive say, yes, I'm an engineer and I'm living this same town where I studied, uh, let's say Providence uh, as an example. Uh, and then those are the ones that are going to be recorded. So in a sense, the, this effect is going to be uh, diluted uh, spatially because uh, many of these engineers uh, clearly didn't stay in, in Providence. And, and that's a little bit of, of, the, of the differences in the OLS and the, and the IEVs that we're capturing in this case. Uh, it's one of the, of the few papers, at least that I have, uh, where these two are, are fairly stable. So I think it's just ca- kind of like capturing the stayers in this case.
0: Great. So, okay, now let's talk about the comparison. So, in your opinion, what happened in the U.S. that did not happen in Latin America in terms of the engineers and its impact?
1: Yeah. So, so let me let me start answering that uh, regionally within the U.S. So, there is a long tradition. Uh, uh, the, the word the the work of many people but like let me just uh, name uh, gavin wright uh, on this which is the differences in technology between the u.s south and the u.s north so that that was the brunt of of that uh, research agenda of saying like how quote-unquote backward in terms of technological development was the south we have some Nice quotes uh, in, in the paper. And then what we, what we found in, in, in this uh, article is that these differences, which are indeed uh, large between the U.S. North and the U.S. South, uh, are staggeringly large uh, once you uh, go south of the U.S. border. Um, so, uh, for instance, if you just compare uh, Mexico or most of Mexico to, to the U.S., uh, the numbers are much lower and they're even lower in, in Latin America. So, I think that, that there was a, a lack of, of development. And again, we have we provide a lot of uh, evidence, historical evidence, and, and, and some charts in, in the paper. Uh, for instance, the development of, of the, the New York engineering profession and the number of graduates, um, which... New York is one of the most uh, advanced uh, northern U.S. states. Uh, is similar to the one in the most advanced uh, region uh, in Colombia, which is Antioquia, uh, with a 100-year lag. So, so we did, de- we do see that type of development, uh, but it just takes almost a century to catch up. And um, so, or, or put it differently, we just see some of the first institutions and some of the first uh, graduates in the U.S. Uh, developing much earlier, as we alluded to before, uh, already the division between uh, sub-disciplines in the field, mechanical, chemical, civil engineering, uh, and all of these things occurring uh, much earlier uh, and also contributing much more to to U.S. Uh, income um, uh, earlier on than in Latin America. So, in Latin America, I mean, I can give you some stories, but uh, foreigners play a very important role. And people that are educated abroad and come back, many of them even start their own, their own universities. That's the, the case of, of this uh, state I was mentioning, the the Antioquia School of Mines. So there's a lot of potential and a lot of impact of these engineers, uh, but it happens uh, later than, than in the U.S.
0: That's interesting because, I mean, as a Mexican, I, I mean, I would say in Latin America, if you look into a profession that may be relevant for Hispanics to have contributed, it will be kind of miners or, I mean, it's precisely because that's what Latin Americans eh, did for three hundred years, right? They just exported mines, and there are many mining processes that were actually created in Latin America for to extract silver and gold. So one would expect that that would have created a demand for this kind of professions or this kind of societies to 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 have existed here. But you say that even then, the the these guys were actually hired from foreign schools of foreign countries, these guys were not locals, so the demand was covered by, by foreigners.
1: Yes, I mean, it's it's great you mentioned uh, mining, and so this resonates a lot with what people like Frank Safford have uh, written in economic history. And we were very interested in, in mining precisely because what you, you were saying. Uh, so in the US, we do see kind of like a cluster of there's a lot of engineers in areas like Colorado, and these are also heavy mining areas. So at some point, we also control for mining to take care of that. Um, but I think what's what's a big puzzle, a big question is Mexico and um, along with with the, with Peru, uh, they were the mining centers of the Spanish Empire for 400 years. So it's not about mining; it's about like how do you actually like what are the technological processes for mining? So we go a little bit in, in the paper and we compare things like how are you just taking the ores uh, it being silver or or. Uh, or gold um, in Latin America, even a similar process of the mercury mines uh, in Spain versus kind of like the modern uh, way to, 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 to take uh, different, um, different metals or elements from, from the earth. Uh, I think that the, the most striking uh, example might be copper. Um, so at some point in Chile, they decide that there's no more copper in some of the biggest mines, or what they are the biggest mines uh, in the world, uh, and they abandon these mines. They are bought by American uh, companies, so the so-called Guggenheim interests, and there's a similar story in Mexico. Uh, and then they bring new technologies, and they are con- they have been continued uh, exploiting some of these mines to essentially today. So I think that the message here is that you can do the same thing, and in some cases, you can do it with a, "quote unquote" better technology or more advanced technology. So it's not mining, but it's like how do you actually do mining? And I think this translates uh, to to other um, to other industries. Um, we can go into more details, but 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 you mentioned mining, and this is a central
0: one. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you mentioned is the impact of technologies and capital. So now you're introducing another factors that may interact with the human capital aspect. So if maybe Chile was not lacking in human capital. It just is lacking the investment capital or it lacked the actually technology. So how do you account for that specifically within your paper in general?
1: Yeah so so this is a great question uh, and and it leads us to kind of the mechanisms uh, territory so one is just okay you control you control for earlier gdp and and things like that so so just to make sure that it's really more of a causal thing than a correlational thing but the other interesting bit uh, as as i was suggesting uh, at the beginning is mechanism so so i mean sure these places are richer but why and what we find in the paper is that engineers are kind of like helping you bring those new technologies to the firm. So they are he- helping you at the firm level uh, with having, let's say, more horsepower in manufacturing, more manufacturing, so at the extensive and intensive margins. And then broadly speaking, they're kind of aiding the structural transformation of the economy. So that's kind of the the main mechanism. So, of course, it's not only the engineers. It's going to be the engineers and the interplay with with factories. And the interplay with finance. So, we also have some results on, on finance. And the, and even to today, they're just more correlated with the bringing technology to the firm uh, or having like more advanced uh, uh, IT. And, 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 Support and IT investments, uh, even to today, like so. For that, we use a combination of data, uh, both historically looking at the census of manufacturing, for instance, in 1930, uh, but also more modern data like this uh, Lexis uh, technology uh, database that looks at how much are you investing um, in in at the at the firm level, uh, intensely uh, even today. So so it's it's clearly an interplay of things. And uh, where we think that engineers are playing a crucial role in bringing this technology uh, to the firm.
0: Talk about comparison, spatial special comparison, but given that your paper spans a long time, would you say that the impact of the engineer has increased or diminished through time?
1: yeah this this is a good question because as as i started with in uh, uh, the beginning i was saying look this is really a historical paper and we see the impact of the engineers during the second industrial revolution and that has kind of like of this long-term effect so i would say that it kind of like expanded uh, during the next decades. Uh, so after the 1880s, uh, we have a nice uh, graph in the paper where we show that this peaks around in uh, 1940s, and that's when more or less our, our data, uh, permits us to, to look at the impact 1920s, 19, 1940s. Of course, it's observable today, but I, I think that it's, the, I mean, the way that I see the question is, what is the quote unquote, who are the engineers of today? So, if one were to invest uh, in one profession, and obviously, like there's an argument here about externalities, and and maybe some of that has not been internalized by the market, and that's why you see like this extreme uh, long-term growth. Who could be the engineers of today that are going to deliver growth for the next hundred years? Um, if you ask me, probably it would be a combination of uh, of computer scientists or, or 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 something along those lines. Uh, but it's hard to know. It's hard to know. Uh, so the impact is there, but uh, and I would say to your question that it has diminished over time. It's still there. It was very important during the second industrial revolution, but now that the economy is uh, more uh, digital, maybe I would say that the impact could be computer scientists. Uh, but these things are obviously very hard to to, to predict. I mean, many countries try to. To play exactly this game and try to invest in some professions and not others, at least some of the countries that have a bit of a more planned economy. Um, but, 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 yeah, I mean, I think that this this is a paper documenting the importance of engineers in history. Uh, it would be interesting to to know what what these engineers would be uh, in for the for the next uh, industrial revolution.
0: The third one. So yeah. there's this. Uh, I mean, there's this whole debate in economic history about economic growth stagnating, right? Because we we do not see the impact of the internet, even though we, as a human beings, we of course are impacted by internet and those things. But if when we try to measure, and here's related to one of my first questions, is that it depends on how we measure, right? And the debate right now is that maybe the internet did not have as much as an impact as the fax or the or the telephone, because we are we already had been connected. So so how, how's your perspective on that
1: Yeah I mean this is this is a big question and I'm entering more speculation territory of course the famous paper by Pishke of like the impact of the pencil and how that could be the same or larger than the one in the internet I think it boils down to measurement and at the end of the day I think that that's what we're trying to do in this paper more than anything we are contributing with this database on engineers. This is the way that we used it. Uh, but clearly the invitation is for other researchers to, to, to also use the data and maybe in more creative ways uh, than, than we did. Uh, and, and, and to say, okay, I mean, again, as you were suggesting to at uh, the uh, suggesting at the beginning, uh, this is the impact only on economic growth. Uh, what about other important variables and how can we actually measure this? Um, I've, I' mean I've seen some papers for instance because you say okay, uh, internet, but where you adopt the internet uh, that's going to be endogenous because there was already like richer areas. so one would have to like find a good instrument for for the internet. and uh, so there's for instance a, a paper, I think it's by uh, Dalgard and others uh, looking at the impact of the internet uh, using uh, lightning strikes. So that sounds like a pretty exogenous way, and uh, that is going to affect the penetration of the internet, uh, but then uh, it would allow you kind of like to tease the the demand and, and, and the and the supply of, of, of the service. And uh, there are other papers that are, try to do similar things, uh, signals, etc. Uh, and now maybe with like five G technology, there would be new papers looking at this. So I think it it is it's kind of it's there, and we know it, and it's similar to this thing that. Uh, the, your question about the first industrial revolution. So clearly, uh, in human capital was important, but it was hard to measure. So, what these author, previous authors did uh, was to find a clever uh, proxy, which was the, not the, the sur- subscribers to the encyclopedia. And uh, so now you know that this is really kind of like a proxy for upper tails. Uh, and in a way, I think we're doing the exact same thing, which is what could be a good proxy for the upper tails of technical. Uh, knowledge and technical capacity uh, engineers. Is it a perfect measure? Probably not uh, but it's. I we think that it could be a valuable contribution to the literature uh, again so that other people uh, look at it and maybe uh, in conjunction to other measures such as patents etc.
0: Well, that, that's a fascinating paper in general. Thank you very much. And just to end uh, I would like to ask you a, a last question which maybe it goes a little bit astray but uh, Would you say that the economist is kind of an engineer? Well, I mean, most of the curriculum today looks more like an engineering class rather than what it was 50, 100 years ago, which was more like humanities or philosophers, you would say.
1: Yeah, I mean, so thanks a lot again for for the interest and, and for all of your very thoughtful questions. Um, I so let me so let me just answer a bit more personally. So I, I started as an engineer myself, uh, and then uh, moved uh, to economics. So maybe this paper is a bit uh, cathartic uh, psychologically in that in that way. And um, I do think that what you're saying is right in the sense that, especially at the grad school level, uh, there's ever more math, there's ever more technical and. Um, um, Preparation in in economics, which 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 I think is good, um, but I think that there's an important question, and 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 I would I would kind of end with what I started with, which is a defense of the liberal education. So this paper is not saying, and therefore everyone should become an engineer, and that's why that's what we should be doing. And um, I I I also see with a bit of a worry of how technical. Uh, we've become uh, in economics, and not only in engineering, um, and how that in many ways uh, leaves aside uh, all of the richness of human experience and human uh, education and human life. And um, so, so yeah, let me actually uh, leave that message to to your audience, uh, which is the importance of of the arts and and a liberal arts curriculum, at least in a, in, in a U.S. context. Uh, and not only the technical knowledge i mean i think the technical knowledge is great it's going to allow us to grow more and but maybe it's not going to allow us uh, to completely live a fulfilling life and that might be uh, equally uh, important or even more so uh, just as you were saying maybe a bit harder to measure
0: i mean i totally agree with everything that you just said that's why psm exists that we want to Pay, pay a lot of emphasis on the important part of the humanities but also of course recurring to the idea that the technical parts are a requirement but we also need to, to pay attention into the, the humanities well thank you very much Felipe it, it has been a fascinating talking to you
1: thank you very much Fernando always great to to speak to you hopefully next time in person
0: The Merriam-Webster dictionary defines the engineer as a person who carries through an enterprise by skillful or artful contrivance. By definition then, the figure of the engineer has been propelled as the embodiment of what it means to be productive and useful in society. The first and second industrial revolutions cannot be understood without it. Modernity cannot be understood without it. There is no doubt that engineers have played a large role in building the rich societies we have today, and they will remain playing that role for the expected future. However, let's not forget the big picture. The development is a cooperative affair. The engineer eats food, requires medical attention, watches TV, and more. The engineer requires others, and we require the engineer. The specialization allowed the engineer to free itself from other chores, and it allowed others to enjoy the fruits of the engineering. Let us rejoice. Exchange, Markets and Cooperation, a podcast from the Penn Initiative for the Study of Markets at the University of Pennsylvania's Economics Department. Our goal is to bring a thoughtful, fact-based, and entertaining discussion on the historical experience of markets and their philosophical foundations. I am Fernando Arteaga, and I will be glad to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Penn underscore Exchange. Stay tuned.